Alright, well, let's see. We have homework 7 due today, so you can drop that off between, between uh, lecture and lab if you like, or submit it on D2L sometime before 6 o'clock tomorrow. I will take a look at those this weekend and have them back for you Monday morning before the exam, so if you want to take a quick look at it before the exam, you'll have that, you'll have that option because some of the questions are there, but certainly you want to have gone through all those first. Uh, on Monday, we have the extra credit assignment due if you're doing the one on historical astronomy. Uh, that is available and due on Monday. And then exam four covering chapters 13 through 15 will be on Monday. And then due on Wednesday will be the article review. So if you're, if you're going to turn a paper copy by then, of course, you can always submit it on D2L as well if you, if you prefer sometime by 6 a.m. Thanksgiving morning. So. Um, quiz will be, the quiz on chapters 15 and 16 will be available starting November 27th. It's available for almost a week, uh, mainly because you've got the holiday in there and then we come back on Monday, but I'm not going to be here on the Monday. I'm still going to be traveling back from Thanksgiving, so I have somebody else covering uh, class that day. Actually, they're going to do the lab for you. I'm kind of switching up the week. We're going to do the lab on Monday that last week and then the only bad thing is that means you got a two-hour lecture on Friday. But I think that is better than me starting a lecture on cosmology, having another professor come in and take the middle section of it, and then me doing the conclusion of it would probably be more confusing than you having to listen to me for, for a longer period of time. So that's what I'm planning, planning right now. But that gives I'm giving you the extra days on the quiz so I can come back. When I'm back on Wednesday, I can remind, I can remind you. The, it'll be on life in the universe. Okay. Yep. I can get you. I can get you a copy earlier if you remind me next week. I didn't bring a copy, or I can print one off if you remind me, like during lab time. I can print one out for you now. In fact, you've probably seen it before. <laughs> so, and then the solar project will be due on Wednesday of the last week, and then there is a homework and a quiz that will be the final final day, and then the. Final exam. So we're almost up there with everything. Almost everything set now. So. Oh, I do have homework eight for you. Yes, I did promise homework eight, and I do have homework eight here. Last one. So, finally all done. Uh, one, two. There you go, man. One, two, three. There we go. Boy, oh boy. Haven't had this small of a class in a while. I don't know. Well, except for summertime. Summer I had one, I had a class where we had five students total, so. Oops. I think I'll give you an extra one there. They're preparing for uh, Black Friday. What? Yeah, that, maybe they're getting. <laughs> That's why I said they're take, taking, a, taking the whole week off, I guess. Oh, here comes someone else. All right. So, picture of the day for today then. Nope. I got homework eight for you. Got it? Thank you. All right. Picture of the day for today. From California to the Pleiades. So California is actually, in this case, a nebula, the California Nebula. Can you kind of see it off there to the left? The red nebula looks maybe a little bit like the state of California. Uh, same general. Same general pattern, not obviously not going to look like it exactly. It's just one of those things where your mind likes to play tricks with you, kind of like the Martian iguana, where it 
makes a rock that looks vaguely like an iguana, happened to look a little more like one than it might otherwise. So that's the California Nebula. That's an emission nebula. So very hot stars here exciting the hydrogen and causing them to glow with their red light. On the other side, you've got the Pleiades. Pleiades is a nice open star cluster, uh, easily visible in the sky. Uh, you can see that, see, see that quite well. That's an open star cluster, so a gr light grouping of stars. And you've still got some dusty material around it here. And this light from those stars is being reflected off of that dust. The stars are very hot and very young stars. They emit a lot of blue light, so they get the light that gets reflected is primarily blue. Also, the dust is very good at, at reflecting and scattering the blue light a lot better than it is the red light. So the light that gets scattered towards us tends to look blue there. In the middle, you have another uh, grouping of stars what we call an OB association, very young group of stars, OB association, meaning O stars and B stars, and grouped together there, and very young stars, as all O and B stars have to be because they don't live for very long, and you still see some of the reflection around them and some of the gas and dust around them left, left over from when they formed. So a big chunk of uh, nebulae in this part of the sky. This is in the constellation, uh, primarily Pleiades are in the constellation of Taurus, so a lot of this is up towards that part, in that part of the sky, so towards Taurus, and then Orion would be down a ways from this, off a little ways from this, from this image, but would be close to it. An area where there is a lot of gas and dust and part of our, a lot of, part of our Milky Way galaxy, and you can see sort of in the image that it doesn't look nice and crisp and clean. You can see sort of a lot of that scattered dust around the entire image that is left over from some of the star formation that went on, went on there. Oh, should have put it up there. To scale. They put the moon up there to scale. Just to give an idea of how big this is in the sky. You know, you don't always get that sense of scale. There's our moon to scale. Our moon is about half of a degree, so you can get an idea of you could fit about 25, I believe it is, says, yeah, 25 full moons across the extent of that image. So, give you an idea of how big this is in the sky. It's not just a little tiny bit. You could fit several full moons across just the Pleiades, a couple full moons there. So, rather large in extent, in extent that we see, that we see. Questions? It would be. It's a, it's a cluster of stars that has that has formed. It is a small cluster, small cluster of stars. So yeah, that is a that is it is a cluster. They just don't last very long because they're very young, very young, very short-lived stars. But yeah, that is another 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 cluster. Anything else? Nope. We're ready for chapter 16 then. Alrighty. Uh, still the same. It's going to be. Oh, except I should have said thank you for mentioning that because I should have said I, I lied last time or last time I talked about ISON. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking when I just sort of said something off the top of my head and it didn't, and it didn't hit me until I looked later that I was incorrect. But ISON is visible in the morning sky right now. Passes closest to the sun in, uh, on Thanksgiving Day. If it survives, it'll come around and it'll still be visible. I think I told you it would be visible in the evening sky. No, it's still the morning sky. It won't be visible in the evening sky till about Christmas time. 
It'll slowly get for earlier and earlier, I mean, be visible earlier and early in the morning. So don't go looking for it in the evening in you know, early December, about a week into December once it gets away. It'll still be visible in the morning sky before sunrise. But you should be able to, even, even a week after Thanksgiving, so that first week in December, you should be able to see it. If it survived, you should be able to see it very nicely in the morning sky right before sunrise. So got to get up early to see it. And if it survived, then you can wait till Christmas time, and then you'll be able to see it all night long. With if it's as predicted, a tail that can stretch, you know, halfway across the across the sky. It could be it could be quite an amazing sight, or it could be destroyed, and we could be overhyping it. But you know, unfortunately, there's no accurate way to predict it. So it's not like we are the people are predicting it wrong. We're doing doing the best based on the numbers that that we have. So thank you. I did want to mention that because I was looking at it after and I realized I told you the wrong thing and I wanted to correct that so people don't go looking in the evening and yelling at me over Thanksgiving break because they can't, they can't find it. Yeah, oh, go, ahead, go ahead, let me let him finish then I'll get you. If you want to see it right now, what time is the sun rising right now? Like 7? No, about 6, 6.30ish? 6.30 and 7, so you want to be looking right before sunrise, so between 5.30 and 5.30 and 6 in the morning? Someone, someone's telling me they're not going to be up that early. Uh, it's now barely naked eye visible, so you would be able to see it, but it's tough. You probably need at least a pair of binoculars to really be able to, to see it enough. But it should get a lot brighter. When it passes by the sun, it should be a lot better right, af right after Thanksgiving. Alrighty? Okay. Well, from the comet to, the, to dark matter. That's what we were talking about last time, dark matter in the universe. And I went through and we looked at the rotation curves of the galaxies and saw that in order to explain how we saw the stars move in those galaxies, there had to be a lot more matter than was visible than all the visible stars in those galaxies together and all the visible gas and everything that we could possibly see. There had to be a lot more than that present. And when we looked at the clusters of galaxies, in order for them to be able to move and stay together, to stay bound together, there had to be a lot of mass that was invisible. And it wasn't just, oh, we need a couple black holes scattered in there, or we need another galaxy or two galaxies worth of matter. For the clusters of galaxies, it was for every galaxy you see, you need 10, 100 more galaxies. So for each galaxy you see in the cluster, you might need 50 more galaxies to keep the cluster bound together. That's a lot of material to be missing or to be you know, dark that is not visible at any wavelength. So it's not just that we can't see it with an optical telescope. You can point the, do the same thing with a radio telescope. You can do the same thing with an infrared telescope, an x-ray telescope, and look at that same cluster. You get the same answer. You're still missing all of this material. Now, some of the things that we do see here, there is a very hot gas that pervades these clusters within the cluster. Uh, super hot gas, super hot meaning it's 10 million degrees. Hot enough to fuse hydrogen to helium, right? Except that you got one particle here and one particle you know, scattered all over many uh, millions of light years. So, not going to have any nuclear fusion there, but extremely hot gas. That's just meaning that it's moving extremely quickly. So there is some material there that can be found. Of course, once we can detect it, it's not dark matter anymore. Right now we can see it. It's visible in some way. But even this 
finding this is not enough to be able to explain the material that we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing here. You're seeing this is an x-ray image and there's a lot of gas concentrated at the center which would be the center of the cluster. So when you look at that in x-rays and you see the visible galaxies uh, buried underneath, a lot of material but it's concentrated at the center. The dark matter has to be spread more evenly throughout. It can't be that concentrated otherwise we'd be able to make the measurements. The measurements would come out differently. So there is a lot of material there that is essentially still dark. Still something else there that is um, affecting the motions of the galaxies. Right? We see it. We can, measure the, we can measure their motions. We can understand gravitationally how much mass has to be there in order to explain the motions we see. And we're not seeing that amount. And that's what my next slide, well, next slide is kind of showing that this gas, this is what we call a head-tail galaxy. Remember those radio galaxies had lobes where you'd send two jets out in opposite directions? Well this galaxy, instead of doing that, decided to kind of send them out behind itself. Okay? How could you do that? Well this galaxy could be moving very quickly. So this galaxy could be moving you know, relatively quickly through this gas. And if you're moving quickly through the atmosphere, right, and you put your arms out and you run faster and faster, don't they tend to go back a little bit? Right? They're going to go back a little bit more. They're going to fall behind you as you move. And that's what's likely happening with what we call a head-tail galaxy. And you can go to the extreme here. When you look at it here, this is, these are both radio images, but when you look at here, you get it going through there and you get some that are you know, almost straight back. Little tadpole there with a single head and just a tail going back behind it. It's still the same process of the black hole that's forming those jets. They're going straight out. But as it's traveled through this, as this galaxy is traveling through this gas, the tails get pushed behind. They get left behind as it moves through the gas. So that's what you're seeing there. That's another piece of evidence for this gas between the galaxies. Very thin gas, you know. Not like our atmosphere, not like anything solid at all, but enough that as this galaxy is traveling through it that we can see the effects of it. But it's not enough matter. It is not enough. It's very old. Dates back to the origin of the universe. So interesting enough to study from that coming up for our next chapter. But there's not nearly enough of it. You know, it might add a couple more galaxies worth of material to the whole cluster, but you need, say just to go in the middle, 50 galaxies worth for every galaxy. So if you can even add 50 or 100 galaxies worth of mass from this, you need that much for every single galaxy that you see in order to account for how we see things moving. So not nearly enough material here to account for what we see. A little bit more, it helps, but it's not near enough to explain the, the motions of the galaxies. Alrighty, let's see, where are we? So let's look a little bit more at galaxies and collisions and we're going to go back and look a little bit more at the formation of galaxies. Now, I've given you this kind of example before, but sort of worded here a little more specifically saying that the separation between galaxies is small compared to how big the galaxies are. And and now I can't remember if it's this class or the other class. One of them I have you calculate the distance, the distance between the Milky Way and Andromeda in terms of size of the Milky Way. That was not this class. That was the other class. Okay. 
I should do that. I should add that one to one of the ones in here because it gives you an idea. It turns out that if you do a calculation and figure out how many Milky Ways could fit between us and Andromeda, it's about 25. Hmm. Not bad. It's a lot of space, but still, they're not that far away. If you want to try, and I haven't done the calculation, how many stars can fit between us and Alpha Centauri? It's a lot. Heck of a lot more than 25. Heck of a lot more than 25 billion. Just say stars like the sun. How many suns would it take to fit, to stretch from us to Alpha Centauri? A lot. What that means is, no matter when you have stars moving around the galaxy, they never collide. It's too hard, they're too, they're too far apart. Relative to their sizes, the little BBs, the 10 BBs bouncing around the classroom, you know, maybe once in a rare while they'll collide, but for the most part, they're just going to bounce all over the place. 10 big beach balls bouncing around the classroom, going to keep crashing into each other. That's what the galaxies are. Galaxy collisions happen quite a bit. And this is an example of one here, this cartwheel galaxy on the left-hand side. How do you classify that one, right? We talked about spirals and ellipticals. You know, pretty much have to put it in the irregular category because it doesn't really have any structure to it. Maybe a little bit of spiral-ish structure there, but it doesn't look anything like those other galaxies. And probably what happened is another galaxy smashed into it. And maybe almost a head-on collision kind of splashed into it like a rock splashing into a pond and you have a big ring here of blue stars where new stars have formed from the, from the result of all, that, all the gravitational force when they smash together. I should also say, when you, when you smash galaxies together, we talk about colliding galaxies. When I say collision, what do you think of? You know, car collision? You know, smash! That's not what happens with galaxies. They essentially go whoosh! Right through each other. So they're going to pass right through. They interact gravitationally. The gravity will distort them and they'll get all messed up, but it would be like two cars coming together, going right through each other, but they'd all get distorted in terms of shape. Yeah, they do get distorted in shape when they crash too, but in this case you'd never actually have a collision. They'd go right past each other. Everything would pass right through each other. That's what happens with the galaxies. Yeah? They could too. Yes, I'll show you some examples of that. So they could, they could, depending on the motions, how they're moving together, how fast they're moving. Yeah, in size. Yeah, yeah, they could. It would depend on the sizes of them as well. Yes. So this is one example of a of a collision. Another one. Here's another one. Now, what type of galaxy is this? Well, there's a spiral galaxy and a spiral galaxy, right? One spiral galaxy on the left, another one on the right. These are in the process of merging together. So these are ones that the actual, the velocities, how fast they're moving, and their interaction will eventually merge together to form one larger galaxy. So you can actually form, take two big galaxies, smash them together, get them to stick. It really all depends on the mechanics of how everything is moving. So these are two that will probably actually merge together. What does collide when galaxies do are the gas clouds. Right? Gas clouds are big, hundreds of parsecs across. They're going to collide into each other, unlike the stars. So you get big bursts of star formation. So when you see collisions like this, you also see the effects of a lot of star formation going on. So we see a lot more star formation going on in galaxies such as these. Here's another example. This is the antenna galaxy. 
And you can see that in a classic one off to the left where two galaxies have, are in the process of colliding. And there's the two galaxies, one there, one there. And as they've collided, you've got big streams of material coming out from the collision. Second image is looking deep down into this core, little box right here. So you can see one core and another core. Gigantic star clusters forming there. I mean, super compared to anything that we see here in our galaxy. You've got all these gas clouds being compressed together. You've got a ton of star formation going on, forming a lot of stars all at once. So big, big, giant star clusters. But the example on the right, not a picture, right? Not an image of anything. Actually, a computer simulation taking two galaxies and colliding them together on the computer. Only way we can ever physically watch galaxies collide. Not too bad. You know, if, you get the, if you get the settings just right, there's those two galaxies there and there. By comparison, there's one arm going out this way, one arm going out this way. Actually looks quite similar. Is it going to look exactly like it? No. Probably see a lot more symmetry in the one that's done on the computer because we tend to put things in, you know, program things symmetrically. So you're going to get, you now this side works out the same as that side. You know, you're going to put a uniform sphere of stars. Right? All the stars are spread evenly throughout this galaxy as you collide them. Are they really? No. But it gives you a rough idea of that we can reproduce this and we can, with our models of gravity, be able to explain how we see certain galaxies like this. So lots of galaxy collisions forming lots of new stars and something that we can actually reproduce theoretically based on, just based on gravity smashing a couple of galaxies together. So, why galaxy collisions? Why is this so important? Well, that's really how galaxies have formed that we believe. We believe that galaxies have formed through mergers of first very large star clusters, big star clusters, into, very, into small galaxies, small irregular galaxies, and then slowly, over billions of years, have built up to this big spiral galaxies and the elliptical galaxies that we see today. So if we look way back, Nice thing with astronomy, we can look way back in time. I can look back 13 billion years and see what galaxies were like. So we can look back at one of the Hubble deep fields looking into essentially very empty parts of space and seeing what's there. We're looking as far back as we possibly can. And we're seeing some of the most distant galaxies. It's actually part of your lab for today. You're going to look at one of these fields, select some galaxies, and actually study some of the statistics of it. So we're actually going to look at some of this. You're actually going to look at this as part of the lab today. But when you get back, when you get back this far, when you look at some of the the galaxies that you're seeing very far away, you don't see any regular structure to them. You don't see anything with a spiral structure to it. They don't even look very elliptical. They're just kind of blobs there. And that's what we're that's what we're seeing here. That is, you know, image C up here is referring to image C. So as a number of these large star clusters, we're looking at about 5 billion parsecs away. 5 billion parsecs, we're back at the edge of the universe. We're looking, you know, 13 some billion light years away. That's probably what was there at the time. Those are the first things to form. And they slowly coalesce together. A couple of them would combine to make a little bit bigger object. Eventually they form smaller galaxies. The galaxies might collide and eventually form even bigger galaxies. So you'd have a progression going from you know, very little galaxies here, 
starting to combine them together, starting to see maybe some spirals, maybe some ellipticals. Until today, we see lots of spirals, lots of ellipticals, and still some of these irregular galaxies left over from very early on. But this is probably how the galaxies have formed, very slowly through mergers over 13 billion years. All right, so here's one of the deep fields. Looking at some of these distant galaxies, all the little numbers are what the astronomers call a redshift, or a Z value for the redshift. The bigger the number is, the further away that galaxy is. So when you look at some of these big ones, you know, the big elliptical galaxies are going to have relatively small numbers. When you look for the ones that are very big, they're usually little tiny nothing galaxies, these ones that are twos and threes. There's not a big galaxy. It's not associated with one of these big galaxies for the most part. You know, for example, there's 3.36. Now I've got to put a little arrow there to tell you which one it is because it's this little tiny speck out there. That's a galaxy we're getting out towards, not at, but towards the edge of the universe. So that's what all those numbers are just telling you, you know, how much the lines have been shifted by what, thank you, by what factor the lines have been shifted. When we look at those galaxies, most of them seem to be irregular galaxies. So when we look at these very early galaxies, most of them appear to be irregular galaxies. Again, part of your lab for today, you're going to actually count galaxies. No, you don't have to sit there and classify them. You're lucky with that. It's, it's a computer lab in that it'll, you, click on, you click on a bunch of the galaxies, it'll tell you which types they've been classified as. But you're going to try to see you know, how many galaxies are in this image. Well, there's hundreds and thousands of galaxies there. And we're going to try to look at that when we look at some of these deep fields to try to get an idea of what, what, the, com what the composition and what the, what the different types of galaxies are. But because we look way back, we see lots of irregular galaxies. We, d we don't see a lot of ellipticals or spirals. It's a piece of evidence in favor of galaxy mergers. We don't see giant elliptical galaxies 13 billion years ago. We see all these small galaxies. We look today, you know, millions of years ago, hundreds of millions of years ago, we see big elliptical galaxies. Well, they didn't just disappear. It would be visible if there was a giant elliptical galaxy back there. It would certainly be visible. So because we don't see any, they probably did not exist at the time. So it gives us good confidence that galaxies have formed through mergers over time. Here's some more collisions. Again, as these galaxies collide, you get intense bursts of star formation. So these are galaxies. Again, they're going to look very irregular. And you can actually see in some cases, you can see the two galaxies. There's one and there's one. Here you can see one galaxy here, one galaxy here as they're colliding. And you're get, they're going to look very blue, meaning that you're forming lots of stars. First stars that are going to form, the quickest stars to form, are the biggest, hottest, blue stars. So when you have lots of star formation going on, you're going to see lots, lots of those. And in any of these galaxy collisions, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a big, intense burst of star formation as those clouds merge together. So back in the days when galaxies had lots of gas and dust. Our Milky Way has some gas and dust. I've shown you lots of pictures of it, including this, this morning's picture of the day had some. It's a relatively small percentage of what makes up the galaxy. You know, a couple percent is gas and dust. Most of it is already formed into stars. In elliptical galaxies, it's even worse. There's essentially no gas and dust. 
So when we look earlier, we're looking back at the time when there were lots more dust clouds around to form these, these stars. All right. Here's another piece of evidence for collisions. This nice little galaxy has three nuclei. Right? You should have one core at the center. Right? Everything goes down to the core. Well, this one actually has three. So this bigger galaxy has actually eaten, cannibalized a couple of other small galaxies that are coalescing with it. Yes, if we could come back in millions of years or so, tens of millions, you'd have one, you'd have one core there again. They'd all eventually merge together. But right now, we're catching it at the point where they're still in the process of, of colliding and coalescing. Eventually, you'll have one great core there at the center. So again, just another piece of evidence that's telling you that galaxies are growing through collisions. These collisions, we know they're very common. We see lots of evidence for them. It's not just, you know, these odd, here's the one pair of galaxies that's colliding is way off over there. We see them all over the place. And I've shown you a bunch of images already, a bunch of different images of col galaxy collisions. So this is one more piece of evidence for uh, collisions of galaxies. Now, talked about spiral arms with our galaxy. How can we make the spiral arms? This is one possible method uh, that's been able to been, be produced theoretically. That you can take two galaxies. Here's one bigger galaxy, one smaller galaxy. Depending on how they collide, you know, you could have a head-on collision, smash it right through the center there. We saw that big splash in that first image, that cartwheel galaxy with a big ring of material. You could have an off-center collision where instead of directly into it, you come kind of right around the edge and swing around the galaxy, almost like an orbit there. And here you can see the red galaxy goes around, comes around this way, continues, and it's gotten distorted a little bit as well, but it's also in the model created a spiral arms. So could spiral arms be created by collisions of galaxies? It certainly is something that is a possibility. That that's how the, the spiral arms would form in the first place. We mentioned density waves as a way to keep them going once they do form, but maybe this is how they form in the first place. So maybe depending on the type of collision, you might be able to convert a galaxy into a spiral or into an elliptical early on depending on just random chance of how it happened to collide. So if our galaxy had collided differently with other galaxies billions of years ago, maybe we'd be living in an elliptical galaxy right now. Or, you know, something different. But that's an example just kind of showing you how you can actually turn a galaxy that had no spiral structure to it, nothing at all, and just run the computations. Just let this galaxy move by it, calculate the force between each particle here, and find out what happens, how, how, does the, how do they change, and it actually turns it into quite a nice spiral galaxy. And then once it's formed, then the density waves would be able to keep it. It would actually stay. That once you form that, it will continue. It's just the forming it in the first part is the stuff that has been difficult for astronomers to be able to understand. All right, black holes. Coming back to black holes. We hadn't, hadn't had enough of black holes yet, right? We've talked about them in a bunch of different chapters. Uh, these are a couple of different images, one in the visible and one in the x-rays, where you actually have two supermassive black holes orbiting around each other. So you can actually measure, you have two, di two, two black holes, two accretion disks as they orbit around each other. Again, the black holes themselves are invisible, but you see a lot of x-ray emission there. 
And they're slowly, they're close enough that they're slowly coalescing. If their disks are interfering with each other, their, their orbits are slowly decaying. This is a satellite orbit, slowly decays into the Earth. If it's in low enough orbit, eventually it'll come back down to Earth. Well, these black holes will eventually, right now they're only about 1,000 parsecs away. Far, 1,000 parsecs, 3,000 light years. But in terms of black holes, especially when you're talking about these supermassive black ones, black holes, not just a, a you know, solar mass size one, big deal if those were thousands of light years away, but when you've got these gigantic ones that are millions or billions of solar masses, eventually they would be expected to merge. What will happen when they merge? Not a whole lot. You've got two black holes. Nothing escapes from this one. Nothing escapes from this one. You combine them together. There's no great explosion. Well, maybe there is inside, but it can't get out. You know, so nothing, not, essentially nothing would happen. They just come from having two black holes to having one black hole with the sum of their masses. Unless you get something with the jets, you get something with the accretion disks as they go in, but the black holes themselves, you could take two black holes, a million, 10 million solar masses, 10 million solar masses. You know, I made too much of an explosion there when my hands hit together. They'd, co they'd coalesce, they'd become one black hole, but unless there's other material, so yeah, some of that other material around might get a little bit more intense as in terms of the emission, but Probably not, ex not extreme, but you're not going to see any great supernova explosion as these great black holes coalesce together. It's going to be a much more quiet thing that will occur. So there's some more examples of, of mergers. Uh, again, more evidence for the black holes and looking at these. This is a, a spectrum of a, or a picture of a galaxy. You've got a visible picture there and you're also looking at, at it in the infrared or infrared, sorry, in the radio, the 21 centimeter. And you're looking at this very small section right down at the core. That's about 2,000 parsecs in size. Here you're going down to 2 tenths of a parsec. 2 tenths of a parsec would be about half a light year. So you're not getting out, you're not getting out near the nearest star in talking about you know, our area of the, of the galaxy. And when you look at that, you measure, you can measure the motions. And I don't know if you can see, but there's a little bit of blue coloring here. A little bit of red coloring there as you measure that gas. So you measure the gas coming red, coming blue, right? Red shift moving away from us, blue shift coming towards us, and you can measure the velocities. You can measure and those velocities are extreme, really high velocities. Now, not speed of light velocities, but very, very fast as material is moving around this black hole with its intense gravity. So a little bit more evidence, as we've looked at a couple different pieces, a little bit more evidence for black holes out there in many of these, many of these galaxies. So a very large object there in order to explain these motions. How else are you going to put enough material in half a light year to explain that you've got extremely fast motion towards you, extremely fast motion away, so vast, very fast orbits going around the center of this active galaxy has to be a black hole there. There's nothing else that is known that could create that much gravity in that small of a location. Yeah, we could have a lot more mass in a gigantic cluster of galaxies, but that's spread over you know, millions of light years, not over just a fraction of a light year, just half of a light year. All right, I think we mentioned this a little earlier on too. 
or the question came up about was there a relationship between the size of the black hole and the size of the galaxy? And not just necessarily the size of the galaxy, but the size of the core of the galaxy. And what this is measuring is the bulge of the galaxy. So not looking at the entire spiral galaxy, right? The arms stretch way out, the arms stretch way out, but you had that bulge, that football-shaped section at the center. Looking at the size of the bulge, how much mass was there? Whether it is, you know, a billion, 10 billion, 100 billion, a trillion solar masses within the bulge, and how big the black hole measured at the center would be, going from 10 million, 100 million out to a billion solar masses, and as you can see here, many that are well beyond that. And there's not really a perfect correlation. It's not just exactly a straight line, but you don't see many galaxies with gigantic bulges, trillion solar mass bulge with a little tiny black hole at the center. Makes sense, right? You got a big you got a lot of material in that bulge, that central portion of the galaxy. You'd think you'd have a bigger black hole. Makes sense? I mean, you have more material there, you should have a bigger black hole. Be very odd to have all this material, all these stars there and not have and have a, a very small black hole. You also don't get a very small bulge and a very large black hole. So you don't have really any points coming up here, any points coming up here. You have pretty much following about a, about a line here. The bigger, the bigger the bulge, the bigger the black hole at the center. Our Milky Way is kind of off a little bit. Not the worst of them, but we actually, for how big the bulge is, our, size, our black hole is actually rather small. Maybe it should be almost twice, as, twice the size. So we have an unusually small black hole at the center of our galaxy. Some galaxies have unusually large ones. Probably has to do with the collisions they've undergone. You know, maybe we've had less intense collisions and co correspondingly mass. What about, what about time? Milky Way is current time. That's true. And the ones that we're observing and calculating are far away. Right. So would you expect that? Does that help or hurt? I think that they would be more close to the Milky Way as time goes on. The that they'd be further, that the bulge, but our, we, have, we have too small of a black hole. We don't have too big of a black hole, we have too small. I, I, would think, I would think it would be the other way around, that we're kind of unusual. We have a small black hole compared to our bulge, you would think it would grow over time. Right? So ours is small and that's the most recent one we can see. Right, that's what I'm saying. I okay. think that, you know, when you look at other things out there, I'm sure that they're all in the past. When you look at something yeah. that's a billion years old compared mm -hmm. to what it is now, it's going right. to be different on the chart. It's going to look different. The only thing I'm saying is that I think it should look different, but I think it should look different from us in the other direction. Yeah. I think that it should look that these probably make sense that they've got they might have, you know, they might have smaller black holes because they haven't had the time, we haven't seen them as they are today. They've probably grown since then, but ours probably hasn't. Ours hasn't, right? Yeah, it's a few thousand light years away, but it hasn't grown. So, and some of these others, you know, maybe relatively close. I'd have to look up all the distances to see, you know, are we really looking at things that are tens or hundreds of millions of light years, or are we looking at things that are many billions of light years away? You know, which would make a bigger difference, how long they've had to. But yes, you are correct. It will, they will change, because we are seeing things at different stages in their evolution. But there is a relationship, but we still do see at least a relationship. Big, bigger bulge means a bigger black hole and gives you an idea of how big some of these black holes can get. Because you've got the 10 to the 9th is 1 billion solar masses. And these go well above that. And this is being a logarithmic sale means if you go up 
This far again, above 10 to the 9, so up in here you're talking you know, 10 billion solar masses. You're getting some of these that are many billions of the mass of the sun for their, for their central black hole. A lot of potential for energy to be able to be produced. All right, quasars. We mentioned quasars. Quasars do not exist today. There are no quasars. In fact, the, the closest quasars we see are about 10 billion light years away. Meaning that's a pretty big fraction of the age of the universe we're looking back before we see the first quasars. They don't exist, but we think because they're all very early on that this is what galaxies were like in some of those early stages. Galaxies, some galaxies at least, would have gone through a quasar phase when they would have been very energetic. How do we know some of that? Well, in some cases, in some of these galaxies, as we get better and better technology, we can actually see, identify the quasar, but we can actually identify material around it. The quasar is the central core of the galaxy. But now we're actually able to see some of the galaxies around it. You can see that the Central portion there, there's a little bit of a galaxy around that, perhaps a little bit of a disk around this one. Definitely a bit of a disk around this one, different clouds around it. So the quasars might also have been a very early stage as these galaxies were colliding. Again, this should make sense, I hope. If you collide galaxies together, you're going to be throwing a lot of dust clouds, a lot of stars, a lot of material into the center of the galaxy for that black hole to eat. right? You start sending a lot of material into that disk around the black hole, a lot more energy can be produced. So as galaxies were colliding, especially a lot very early on, sometimes you were really feeding that black hole. You were giving it a lot of food and a lot of material in that disk around it, and that gave it a lot more energy. That's when we saw the quasars. The conditions have calmed down since then. You don't get quite as many collisions, even though collisions are still common. They aren't near as common as they would have been 13 billion years ago. So it's quieted down and we don't see quasars anymore. We see them, yes, we can see them because we see them as they were 10 billion years ago. But if we look nearby in the universe, we don't see one single quasar within 10 billion light years. Question? Yeah. Go ahead. So Right. Because it takes light time to travel here. So if something is 10 billion light years away from us, we can't see it as it is right now. We see it as it was 10 billion years ago because the light as it is right now just left it. 10 billion years from now, it'll get here. Then we'll know what it's like today. But that'll be 10 billion years from now. Got your mind spinning, I know. It does, it do, it does that. It does that. What is the definition of a quasar? It is, um, it's one of the extreme active galaxies. It's a type of active, the core of an active galaxy. So, core. Yeah. Uh, it depends. They could, they could, but it's not, it's not required. It's just really, the original definition of a quasar was an object that looked like a star, looked like a point, but had extreme it, had extreme, it was moving at extreme velocity. So it looked like a point, but had very strong emissions that weren't associated with any type of star. And it gave it a lot of radio energy. Oh, the difference? Uh, probably the radio galaxies, you mean? Yeah, radio. 
Radio galaxies and quasars are probably two different types of objects. And it may come back, and we look at that, I think it's in the next chapter, as to the types of collisions that might have occurred. So depending on how the collisions occurred, there may be some ways you could form a quasar. There may be other different types of collisions that would have formed a radio galaxy. And they would have perhaps led to one to spiral galaxies and one to elliptical galaxies. So it might be that these very early active galaxies eventually led to the normal galaxies that we see today. All right, so there's a couple of the quasars, and we can see their material around them. But the quasars ended. They're all gone. Yes, we can still see them again because they're so, they're so far away, and the light is still traveling, so we can see the universe as it was 10 billion years ago in parts. But all of the quasars are older than that. So the quasars went away. The black holes didn't. The black holes are still there. So that would mean that based on this, if there were lots of quasars a long time ago, or if most galaxies went through some kind of quasar phase, maybe not the extremely bright ones, those might have been the rare ones. You know, first thing you find of any new type of object is going to be the rare ones, the unusually bright things. So, but most galaxies, including ours, might have gone through some kind of quasar phase many billions of years ago. That means the black holes are still there. Those black holes aren't just disappearing. All it means is they're not being fed. If you don't give the black hole anything, it's not going to produce any energy. It's just going to sit there. It'll help with the rotation of the galaxy and all the material spiraling around it. But unless you're giving it some gas clouds, some stars, something to eat, it's not going to be visible. It's not going to have that accretion disk. It's not going to be giving off a lot of x-rays, gamma rays, radio waves, anything else. It's not going to be visible. So the black holes are still there, and we find that most galaxies will still have a supermassive black hole at their centers today. So here's the one. It was this chapter. I was trying to remember which one it was. But here's sort of an idea of how galaxies might have evolved. So what do we think might have happened to galaxies? Long ago, we had all these irregular galaxies. So this is sort of time. Very early times, the early history of the universe, present day. So we end up today. We have to end up with what we see. We see lots of normal galaxies, normal spirals, normal ellipticals. That's what we see today. So what might have happened is you had these very small galaxies, irregular galaxies, probably had no black holes. And you may have had collisions that collided the two of them together. Okay, Got a little bit bigger galaxy. You might collide some of those together. Some of these bigger galaxies starting to form now. If you collide two of those together, you start feeding that black hole. It gets bigger and bigger. You start feeding it. And it, has a, it starts giving off energy. You start to see it as a quasar. You start to see some of the material form around it. Now here's where it splits up. Now it depends on what happens. If you take two quasars and collide them together, then you might get what we call a radio galaxy. So that's the current thought, is that you collide these two in, a big, in what we call a major merger, really smash two big things together. All of a sudden, you get that intense crashing. You, all of the gas gets converted to stars at once, or very, very quickly. You form lots of stars all at once. You use up all of that gas and dust at once. It's all used up here in this collision. You get the radio galaxy. You get the jets of material coming out. Once that black hole finishes its dinner, right? eats all its food, it's done, it calms down to be a normal elliptical galaxy. 
Could you wake it up again? Yeah. Send, send some material in there and the black hole will start to wake up again. So that's what we see in some of these collisions. You're actually starting to add material towards the black hole again and you can sort of get some of the active galaxies. Not to this extent that we had billions of years ago, but you can actually still have that activity. The other possibility would be a minor merger. So you have a major, major merger, you have a minor merger. We looked at that a little while ago, right? You collided a small galaxy into a, uh, another galaxy, in this case a quasar, and if you collide them just right, you might actually form a spiral type galaxy. In this case, not directly a spiral galaxy, it goes through another stage first, like we get the radio galaxies, you get the Seifert galaxy first. Seifert galaxy is just like a spiral, but it's emitting a lot more energy from the core. It's still being fed. Again, black hole finishes its dinner, nice and calm. Nothing else is going to happen until you feed it. Now, even in the normal galaxies, yes, you're always sending some material into the black hole, but it's significantly less material than it ever was way back here. So a lot less material at that, at that point. Let's see, where are we? Let me, let me start on the very large scales because then we'll finish, the, we'll, finish up on, we'll finish up on this. So Question, I'm sorry, yes, go ahead. Why don't we see a whole bunch of irregulars They've all come in to make the other galaxies. We see some, but most of the irregulars that existed a long time ago have merged together to form other galaxies. Isn't that like throwing ping pongs in a room now? Not the galaxies. The galaxies are big. Galax stars, yes. Trying to get stars to collide was very hard. Galaxies is very easy. Okay. The galaxies will collide very easily. So, here's a map of the universe, not the entire universe, it's a little tiny section of the universe. Not actually putting the galaxies directly out there, just kind of mapping the area, the volume that they take up. Here's us. You know, you thought it was bad when we looked at our galaxy and the point where the, where the star was. Now the little dot is actually our local group of galaxies. So that's us and Andromeda and all those other, those 40 some galaxies. They're all put together right at the edge of this gigantic cluster. You know, where are we? You know, we're a, a little electron deep down in there, so deep down in there someplace to scale. You know, our little, our little st uh, star so and solar system. And this is just the nearby. This has the Virgo cluster, Perseus and Pegasus clusters. But what you see is there's the Virgo cluster here. That was 4,000 galaxies. That's not this whole thing. That's this part of it. There's another cluster in Hydra. Another is the Abel 3581. So you go out there, the galaxy clusters seem to group together. So if we do this in three dimensions, we see that there's chunks where there's lots and lots of galaxies. We see that there's a lot of space where there's nothing. There are great voids in space where there's essentially nothing. So when we start to look at this, and this is only a very small portion of the universe. We're going to look at some that is a lot larger than this. but. This is us, we're here, we're right at the very edge, this little tiny dot, again, our whole group of galaxies as part of the very edge of the Virgo supercluster of galaxies. Now let me see. Here's a little more again plotting that out. There's the Virgo cluster again. As you head out, you're going really over big chunks of the universe here because you're going up to the nor way up to the northern sky, way down to the southern sky. Again, each uh, plot is a galaxy within this giant supercluster. They tend to group together. You've got big chunks here. You've got other areas. 
where there's the great voids of material. So there's lots of area in the universe that's empty. We've already done that, right? Solar system is empty. The galaxy is empty, right? The space between the stars is tremendous. Well, the, the cluster, the way the galaxies group together, there's a lot of space between them where there's not only nothing, you're not traveling to the nearest star, but you're going to the nearest cluster. When you can have areas where there are 10 million parsecs, 30 million light years, where there's hardly anything. So space just gets emptier and emptier as we move further through here. And let me go ahead, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop. Yeah, I'll put this one up and I'll do, look at the walls and voids and we'll finish that up on Wednesday, finish up this chapter. We're just about done with chapter 16 and can get to jump into 17 on Wednesday. But giving you another kind of map of the universe looking out here, out to a couple hundred parsecs. You start to get some, you get some structures, you get some walls. You get some, you get the little man there, right? You see the guy, head, two arms sticking out, two legs down there. You see the guy standing there? Yeah. What, what your eye will put together. Is there really a person in there? Of course not. That's just a bunch of galaxies. But you start to see some patterns that when we look on this kind of scale, we see lots of galaxies and they've grouped together along these filaments and that there's other big areas where there's absolutely nothing. There are all these great voids where there is nothing. So we're going to come back to that again. We'll talk a little bit more on Wednesday and then really when we get into chapter 17 on Wednesday and the next Wednesday, we'll talk about that a lot, a lot more. So let me finish up there and then we'll give you a break and we'll get I'll get the computers booted up for the, for the lab. Not Starry Night, it's actually another one to do. It's another website to use this time. Question? Yes? So, like, the big voids, they're just giant spaces of time, too? What, giant spaces, they're, they're, they're empty. So they're just empty, big empty areas. So like the space between the stars, you know, there's voids within our galaxy essentially where there's hardly any stars. Well, within the galaxies, they're not just spread uniformly over the universe, they group together. Like stars kind of group together within the galaxies or in two galaxies, so, the galaxies group together. Okay. Okay? Questions? Yes, sir. Wednesday and Friday we are not in class, so right? Wednesday we have class. Fri Friday there is no class. Oh, because see, I have a class on another class on Wednesday. It's a PM class, but that's the evening class. The classes end at like four o'clock. Gotcha. So there is there is class on when. Now, if anybody's traveling, I didn't. That's why I didn't schedule anything for that day. I didn't want to put the exam on Wednesday because I didn't think that was fair. Yeah. So actually, I'm leaving right after class. <laughs> so I understand, but that's why I'm just going to be doing lectures. So I'll finish chapter 16 and start on 17. So if you have to be traveling, I understand. Travel safe, yeah, but. but it's supposed to get a little, is a little bit. I didn't hear a lot yet, but. Oh, cool. Cool. What's happening in Texas?